0: Today's scripture lesson is from Matthew, uh, verses 20, or verse twenty-six, chapter 26, verse 47 through 56. I'll be reading from the Pew Bible, found on page 809. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd with swords and clubs, from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, the one I will kiss is the man. Arrest him. At once he came up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus said to him, Friend, do what you are here to do. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and arrested him. Suddenly, one of those with Jesus put his hand on his sword, drew it, and struck the slave of a high priest, cutting off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled, which say it must happen in this way? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Had you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as though I were a bandit? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not arrest me. But all this has taken place so that the scriptures of the prophets may be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. The word of God for the people of God. be to God.
1: this morning I want to share with you one of my most favorite stories, a story I've loved since I was just a, just a boy. I want to tell you today about a man named Dirk Willems. Now, Dirk Willems was, was born about 500 years ago. He was born in Holland, not Holland, Michigan, but the real Holland, Holland. Dirk Willems was baptized as a Catholic. He was raised in the Catholic Church, but as a, a teenager he had a sort of conversion experience. He he became an Anabaptist. Now, now if I talk about the, the religious group called the Anabaptists, do you know... I'm talking about, if you go down to to Amish country, if you go down and see the people wearing the the simple clothes and riding around in the horses and buggies, you are among the Anabaptists. The Amish and the Mennonites today are the descendants of the the Anabaptists in Dirk Willem's time. Today we think of them as as people who are just a little bit different because of their lifestyle, because of some of their, their practices, because they don't drive cars. But even in Dirk Willem's time, even at a time when everybody rode horses and and, and buggies, even then, the Anabaptists were just a little bit different. The thing that made them different was not, not their lifestyle, not the way that they dressed. The thing that made them different in Dirk Willem's time was, was the way that they interpreted the words of Jesus. You know, the Anabaptists were one of these rare groups of Christians who took Jesus both seriously and literally when he said, Love your enemies and, and turn the other cheek. And so the Anabaptists refused to participate in any kind of violence. If you struck an Anabaptist, he wouldn't hit you back. They refused to serve in the military. They were a peace-loving people. and, And, of course, because of that, their neighbors hated them and feared them and distrusted them. People said, what kind of a person won't hit you back? And they said, what kind of a person won't pick up arms and and fight for his country? People thought of them as cowards. People thought of them as heretics. People thought of them as traitors to their nations. And so the authorities, the authorities tried to stamp them out, tried to persecute them right out of existence. Anabaptists were rounded up, thrown in prison and tortured. And that's what happened to Dirk Villains. Somebody ratted him out. Somebody told the authorities, I know where you can find an Anabaptist. The authorities came to his house and dragged him to a sort of castle prison. And there, Dirk Willems was tortured day after day. His captors, the prison guards, made him suffer the most excruciating pain. And then each day they would ask him, now will you walk away from your heretical faith? Now will you come back to the one true church? And day after day, Dirk Willems said, no, I will never renounce my faith. And finally they realized they weren't going to break him. So they threw him into a cell to rot. They put Dirk Willems in a cold and lonely cell. He had just one thin and raggedy blanket and a few crumbs of bread and a little bit of water each day and the weeks went by and slowly Dirk Willems started wasting away. Finally he realized that this was going to be his fate. He was either going to starve to death or freeze to death in this miserable cell if he didn't do something and so there in the cell Dirk Willems launched a a desperate plan to escape. He did the thing that you see people do in the movies. He tore his blanket into long strips and then he tied those rags together to make a rope. He lowered the rope out the window and then he shimmied down the rope down to the ground. Just as his feet touched the ground, just as he was about to slip off into the darkness, a guard spotted Dirk Willems and the chase was on. Dirk took off running as as fast as his wasted legs could carry him with the guard in hot pursuit. Suddenly, Dirk Willems found that he was running across the surface of a a frozen pond. After weeks of starvation, Dirk Willems was just skin and bones. The, The thin crust of ice easily supported his weight, but just as he reached the other side of the pond, he suddenly heard a noise behind him. He heard a crash, and he heard a scream. Dirk Willems stopped, and he turned around, and he saw that the guard had fallen through the ice. And the guard was trying to pull himself out of the water, but the ice kept breaking. The guard was struggling to keep his head out of the water. He was drowning. And it's in this moment that Dirk Willems does something truly remarkable, something that people remember still to this day, something that people are talking about and wondering at still 500 years later. In that moment, without a second's thought, without even a moment of hesitation, Dirk Willems turned around. He went back out onto the ice. He got down on his belly and he pulled the guard out of the water. Well, the story goes that the guard was flabbergasted. He couldn't believe that this heretic, this coward, this traitor had come back to save his life. The story goes that as the guard was lying there on the ice trying to catch his breath, he made a decision. He decided he was going to let Dirk Willems go. He decided he was going to let Dirk Willems escape. But just then a city official rode up on horseback. The city official ordered the guard to take Dirk Willems into custody. And so they dragged him back to the castle. They threw him in another cell. This time they weren't taking any chances. They locked him away up in a small cell at the top of the highest tower in the castle. And then for days the city officials talked about and debated what to do with this man, what to do with Dirk Willems. Finally, after days of discussion and debate, they made a decision. They decided to make an example of him. They decided that Dirk Willems had to die. And so early one morning the guards came into his cell, they grabbed him by the arms, dragged him out of the castle, they tied him to a stake, they piled up wood around his feet and then they lit the wood on fire. There was a stiff breeze that day, and so it kept blowing the flames and the heat away from Dirk Willems' body, and so instead of burning quickly, he cooked slowly from the bottom up, and as he was slowly burning from the feet to the top, Dirk Willems screamed out in agony over and over again, oh my Lord, my God, oh my Lord, my God, oh my Lord, my God, his screams could be heard for miles around. Finally, even the judge who had ordered his execution couldn't take the sound of his screaming anymore. He ordered the executioner to put Dirk Willems' out of his misery, and that's exactly what the executioner did. The people of the town never forgot about Dirk Willems. The Anabaptists never forgot Dirk Willems. Still to this day, Dirk Willems is remembered about the Anabaptists as one of the great martyrs of the Christian faith, a man who saved his enemy at the cost of his own life, a man who embraced his enemy even though it meant torture and death for himself. He's remembered as one of the great heroes of the Anabaptist movement. They don't recognize saints, but if the Anabaptists did, Dirk Willems would be at the top of the list. I remember... I remember the first time I heard that story. A pastor told it on a Sunday morning like this at the church where I grew up. And I can remember the first time I heard that story. I was, I was fascinated. I was astonished by this man, Dirk Willems, by this moment when he turns around and goes back out onto the ice to save his, mem- his enemy. Even, even as a boy, I recognized, even as a boy, I knew that Dirk Willems had done something truly, truly remarkable. Even as a boy, I remember thinking that he had overcome one of the most powerful instincts that we have as human beings, the instinct to save our own necks, the instinct to run away. You know, this week I've been reading up on what it is that happens when we feel like our lives are in danger and the power, the power of this universal and automatic instinct. In the last few weeks, we've been talking about the ways in which sometimes following Jesus can be difficult. Sometimes walking in the ways of God can be difficult and they seem almost impossible. We've been talking about all the winds that try to blow us away from God. We've talked about how there are powers of darkness, spiritual powers and forces of evil in this world that try to blow us away from God. We've talked about how there are, are religious leaders and authorities in this world who try to put words in God's mouth and teach us ways that are not the ways of God. We've been talking about all of these things out there that try to separate us from God and, and keep us from walking in the way of God. But this morning, I want to recognize the fact that sometimes the wind that tries to blow us away from God, sometimes the strongest and most powerful wind that tries to blow us away from God is not out there. Sometimes it's in here. Sometimes, sometimes it's our own instinct for self-preservation. And it's, our own, it's our own instinct to save ourselves at the cost of everyone around us. And when our, our brains detect that we're in danger, they, they start doing several things all at once. I don't know if you know this, but there's a part of your brain that is always scanning for threats, always looking for danger. It's called the amygdala. Right now, even now as you're sitting here in the church, your amygdala is scanning the room and watching for bears and crocodiles and things that might want to eat you, watching for Presbyterians and Baptists and other scary people who might have snuck in here this morning. Your amygdala right now is looking, looking for potential danger, looking for possible threats. And when you're amygdala detects a threat, it starts ringing alarm sirens throughout your brain. It sends messages to another part of your brain called the hypothalamus. The hypothalamus is sort of your brain's command center. It does all the things that you're always doing without having to think about it, right? Your hypothalamus tells your heart to beat, It tells your lungs to breathe. It tells your stomach to digest. When your hypothalamus gets the message from the amygdala that your life is in danger, your hypothalamus starts reallocating the energy reserves in your body. It tells your heart to beat faster and shoots adrenaline all throughout your body. It tells your pupils to dilate. Everything gets brighter. Everything looks a little bit clearer. It makes it easier for you to detect danger, to detect threats. Your your muscles get tense. Your fists clench. Your jaw clenches. and, And sometimes, Sometimes your muscles get so tight that your hands begin to shake your hands the palms of your hands get sweaty do you know why the palms of your hands get sweaty when you feel like you're threatened when you feel like you're in danger that's your hypothalamus way of getting your body ready to climb a tree if you have to suddenly climb a tree to get away from that crocodile those sweaty palms will make it easier for you to grip the bark we are hardwired to run away from danger we are hardwired to fight to flee to save ourselves this is a powerful automatic unit universal response that all of us have when we detect threats, whether they're small or whether they're large. Something in our brain starts screaming, run away, save yourself. And and we all experience this a little bit, maybe even every day. I experience this sometimes on Sunday mornings. Sometimes sometimes on Sunday mornings, I stand up here and I look out at all of you and my amygdala starts shouting, danger, danger. And then it sends a message to the hypothalamus and my hands start to shake. Do you know why I start almost every day? every sermon with my hands in my pocket and so you won't see how afraid of you I am, right? right. Our brain detects threats sometimes even when there's no danger at all and you also experience this. You reach into the mailbox and pull out a bill and suddenly your heart starts pounding just a little bit faster. Your, your teacher, your professor, your boss gives you an assignment with a heart deadline and suddenly your palms get sweaty. You turn on the TV and you see the face of that politician who always, man, is to get under your skin and suddenly your jaw is tight and your fists are clenched and you're ready to punch somebody and you don't even remember making those fists. This is a powerful, automatic, universal response. It's meant to keep us out of danger. It's meant to save us when our lives are threatened. But sometimes it is also exactly the thing we need to overcome if we are going to walk in the way of Jesus. Sometimes it's the thing that we have to fight the hardest if we're going to do what Jesus calls us to do to embrace our enemies to serve one another, even even at the cost of our own lives. How did Dirk Willems do it? How did he overcome this powerful, automatic, universal impulse to save our own neck, to save our skin? I believe that the answer to that question is in this morning's gospel reading. In today's reading, we find Jesus and the disciples in a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane was one of the places that Jesus and his disciples felt the safest and most comfortable whenever they visited the city of Jerusalem. Remember that Jesus and his disciples, they were simple country folk and often the the big city of Jerusalem with all of its crowds and all of its bustle and soldiers and armor felt a little bit threatening and intimidating to them. And so when they were overwhelmed by the city, when they just couldn't take the noise of the city anymore, they would slip out the city gates, they would go outside the city walls to a a place called Gethsemane where there was an orchard, a, a grove of olive trees on a hill and there they would breathe the fresh air, there they would count the stars. There they felt like they could be closer to God and hear God's voice better. One night, Jesus and his disciples got overwhelmed by the bustle of the city, and so they went outside the city walls. They went to Gethsemane. The disciples lay down underneath the trees. They watched the sun set. Some of them dozed off. Some of them began to have conversations with God and pray. They finally started to relax after a hard and busy day in the city. But then just after the sun went down, just as the stars were beginning to appear, suddenly the disciples became aware of the fact that they were not alone there among the trees. There were men moving. There were people out there among the trees. Their hearts started beating faster. Their arms and their hands got tense and shaky. Their fists clenched. Their palms began to sweat. Their hearts started pounding, pounding, pounding. Their pupils dilated and they saw moonlight gleaming off armor and swords. They realized that the garden was filled with soldiers, with guards, with temple police. They realized that they were surrounded. The enemies of Jesus moved against him. The enemies of Jesus had come to arrest him. And for a moment, nobody was sure exactly what was going to happen. The disciples' brains were screaming, fight or flee, fight or run and they weren't sure what it was going to be and then a man laid a hand on Jesus' shoulder and, and that was it. The decision was made. One of the disciples drew his sword and started flailing around. Suddenly a man clutches the side of his head an ear goes flying through the air and lands on the ground. The whole garden is a heartbeat away from bloodbath and massacre. The whole garden is about to erupt in violence. Everyone has a hand on a weapon. Everyone is losing their cool. Everyone except for Jesus in the middle of all of these frightened and angry and violent men, Jesus very calmly sees what is going to happen. And he says, in not a shout, but in a loud voice, he says, stop. He says, stop all of you. He says, put away your swords. He says, everyone who draws a sword tonight must be prepared to die by the sword. Jesus says, this is not what I have taught you. And so the disciples put their swords away and everybody stops. Every eye turns to Jesus and the disciples must have wondered and the men in the garden must have wondered and we today can't help but wonder how in this moment when everybody is about to erupt into violence, how is Jesus able to keep his cool? How is he able to remain so calm? I believe the answer to that question is in the words that Jesus speaks next. Jesus looks at his disciples and he shakes his head and he says to them, don't you think that I could call down twelve legions of angels that's 6,000 angels for every one of us. That's 72,000 angels streaming down from the sky to obliterate our enemies. All I would have to do is snap my fingers. All I would have to do is say the word. Don't you understand that God is so much bigger than all of this? Don't you understand that God is bigger than the soldiers? God is bigger than the guards. God is bigger than the temple police. God is bigger than the armor. God is bigger than the swords. God is bigger than everything we are afraid of in this moment. All I would have to do is say the word and God would send 72,000 angels to our rescue but that is not God's way and so tonight it's not my way either put away your swords Jesus says and let me let me do this my way God is bigger than everything we are facing God is bigger than all of this Sometimes the wind that tries to blow us away from God is the wind that's blowing in our own hearts. It's the wind of our own clenched fists. It's the wind of our own beating hearts. It's the wind of the adrenaline rushing through our bodies. It's the winds of our brains screaming save yourself. Get out of danger. Strike down your enemy. There is only one way I know to overcome that wind and follow in the way of Jesus and it is this. In that moment when we are facing danger, in that moment when our lives are threatened, the only way I know to follow Jesus is to remember that God is bigger than all of this God is bigger than our enemies God is bigger than soldiers. God is bigger than guards. God is bigger than temple police. God is bigger than fire. God is bigger than crosses. God is bigger than bills. God is bigger than Baptists and Presbyterians and Methodists. God is bigger than bosses and professors and teachers. God is bigger than assignments and deadlines. God is bigger than all of the things that frighten us. God is bigger than the grave and the stone rolled across the face of the grave. God is bigger even than death. God is bigger than all of these things. God is with us. Why then should we be afraid? Whom then should we fear? Let's pray. God, help us to believe in this place, in this moment. Help us to believe that you are bigger than all of these things and you are with us. God, there are so many things that frighten us, so many things that try to push us away from you. God, sometimes it's the wiring of our own brains that causes us to stumble and fall. And we pray that you today would give us the courage of Jesus and the faith of Dirk Willems. God, make us the people who walk towards our enemies, wrap our arms around them. God, make us the people who are not afraid of death, who believe that you are bigger even than death. In the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.